If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, I can get to know ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. Let me explain as I'm taking it off. Let me explain how I feel about us. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. I can show ya. Welcome to another episode of Sperm Donation World, and today. I've got a very interesting story. Uh, it's, it's made public headlines back in uh, 2019 of donor 8928 or 8928, however you want to say it. It was an Oregon doctor who was a medical student at the time uh, called Bryce Cleary. And recently there was a Vice clip that came out starring his donor-conceived people, three of them I've got on the show today. I've got Ali, Robin, and I've got Maddie. How are you? Hi, good. Hey. Basically, your story was, you've, you know, obviously you've grown up, don't conceive, you've all found out at various different times. We'll start with you, Maddie. Tell us your, um, your story on how you were brought up and when you found out you were don't conceived and, and how you handle it. And Yeah, so I grew up in a household with uh, straight parents, mom and a dad. I always assumed I was just naturally theirs. I looked just like my mother, or so I thought. (laughs) And there was never a whole lot of question as to my parentage. And then when I was 19, I was in college and I was kind of just thinking about my life ahead of me and, you know, the family I wanted to create someday. And I recalled that growing up, I'd heard stories about how my parents had been married for a really long time before they had me and how, you know, they kind of had trouble conceiving. It took them seven years or so. And I started to ask my mom questions like, you know, am I going to have fertility issues? Is this something that was genetic for you that I should be maybe talking to doctors about someday or, or thinking about now? And she really didn't have a good answer for me other than she wanted to allay my fears about, you know, myself having issues conceiving someday. And that answer wasn't quite good enough. So I kept pushing her on it. And then finally, uh, I think a day later, so she sat me down and was like, Hey, I, I actually have something kind of big to tell you. And I asked her, I said, are you, you know, healthy? My, I, I immediately jumped like worst case scenario, something's wrong. And she said, no, I'm fine. And I said, okay, well, is this about my dad? And she said, yes. And I said, are you going to tell me that my dad isn't my dad? And her eyes got super wide and she looked at me and she was like, yeah, actually I am. And my head immediately jumped to, you know, did she have an affair? What happened? I I had no concept of sperm donation at the time. And so she explained that my father had actually had a vasectomy in his, uh, during his first marriage and then married my mom. So when they wanted to have a kid, they obviously needed to get donor sperm to do so. And everything kind of took off from there. I registered with the donor sibling registry and just made myself really, really easy to find in case my siblings were out there. And thankfully, a year later, Allie contacted me. So your mum sat you down. You've spoken to her about it. Was there a reason that, you know, they didn't tell you? Did they say because he would have felt like inmasculant or... Uh, you know, obviously in their case, he, he was fertile before, but he had a vasectomy. Uh, you know, did you ever get answers of, you know, why their choice wasn't defined? Because I think you said you didn't find, um, find it till you were 19. 
Yeah. From what I understand, their reason for keeping it a secret was twofold. Um, one, the doctors at the time told them not to tell me. And two, because my dad did have adverse feelings to that. You know, he never wanted me to feel distant from him because we weren't biologically related. And I think if it had just been my mom, she probably would have told me a lot earlier. Before she sat me down and told me the truth, she did call him. My parents are divorced. So, you know, they kind of had to co-parent and uh, she made sure that he was okay with it. And after so many years, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with her knowing the truth. But I don't think that was really the case when I was growing up. Hmm. And uh, how about you, Robin? How is your story? So I have a very different story from Maddie. So my parents got together in the mid 80s. And a year after they got married, they found out that my dad had some major health issues that if he were to have children, it would absolutely affect um, the child being born. So they waited probably five or six years um, and then decided to go with a sperm donation. They actually tried the first time and it didn't take. Um, They did try with the same donor, so with Bryce. And so they tried again about a year and a half later and that was in 92. This was up in Roseburg, Oregon. So south of where OHSU is. Um, But they ended up getting pregnant with me And when I was three, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I was brought up and raised. My parents told me it was sometime between eight or 10. Um, It was elementary school. I know that. I don't remember the exact timing of it. Um, But I remember it so clearly because I remember coming downstairs and my parents were sitting at the dining room table we never sat at the dining room table. That was for guests only. Like it was a big deal if they were sitting at the dining room table. So they had this huge breakfast and all this. I'm like, what is happening? What's wrong? And they sat me down and they proceeded to tell me that my dad was sick. He had cancer at the time. And um, my first question was, does that mean I'm going to get cancer? Because I'm I'm a kid. That's the first thing that my head jumped to. I don't know if they were planning on telling me that day or not, but they responded to that. Well, Robin, you and your dad actually aren't biologically related. And I, as a very mature elementary schooler, remember them explaining to me. And then I yelled at them. I'm half adopted and locked myself in a room for a day and didn't come out. So totally, totally took it well. Um, But it made sense to me. Me and my dad were never super close. I always felt a distance there. We didn't like the same things. We didn't, we constantly were fighting all of this. And so I knew that he loved me and that he was raising me the best that he could, but there wasn't that closeness that I see with a lot of father-daughter relationships. But growing up, knowing that from such an early age, it, it was something that I talked about regularly. So if people asked me like, oh, we were talking about, I remember in middle school, we were talking about, of, oh, my heritage is Italian. My heritage is this. And I said, well, I've got a paper that says what my heritage is. 
And I remember actually showing the donor sheet to my friends growing up. Um, my parents separated when I was 15, officially divorced when I was 18. Um, me and my dad have a very contentious relationship. Um, it's very strange, but at the same time, um, we still are in contact and I was very hesitant to do a DNA test. I got married at 21 and that year my husband got a DNA test um, with his whole family. They got it as a group. And he said, do you want me to get you one? And I said, absolutely not. Like, do you know what can of worms that will open? And he's like, okay, I get it. I get why you wouldn't want to all this. And so I was kind of struggling with it for about four years at that point. Um, we had a kid, um, my, he is now two and a half. Um, but once we had Jamie, my son, I'm like, it would be kind of cool to know his full genetic makeup because it's a piece of paper. We don't know if that piece of paper was accurate. Um, and so I went ahead and I did the most off-brand DNA test that I could find. Like I was specifically staying away from the ancestries and the 23andMe. I'm like, I'm going to go do this Walmart brand um, DNA test just in case I find something. Um, and I matched with Allie. And so as soon as I matched with her, I immediately went to Facebook stalking mode and was like, oh my gosh, she looks so much like me. I was really hesitant to reach out at first. Um, and then I talked to my husband. He's like, you grew up as an only child. Like, go meet your sister. And so I messaged Allie. And then she proceeded to tell me, hey, there's a few more if you want to meet. And that kind of started the whole snowball. But I met Allie, Maddie, and Ani um, within a week of that message. Do you find... I mean, you compared your relationship with your father, obviously looking at other people's um, relationship with their fathers. Do you find that it was probably an issue for him to get over internally that you weren't biologically related and that was a secret that he kept to himself that he felt that he couldn't connect to you, do you feel, or do you just think it was something else to that? Something else. He dealt with a lot of, there was a lot of stuff there. Um, he was dealing with his sexuality at the same time. He was dealing with a lot of different issues that just made it hard to connect with both me and my mom. The reason for their divorce was that he found a um, male partner and went off. Um, that was the reason for their separation, basically. And so it. I don't think that it was necessarily the donor bit I think that that might have something to do with it but I know that it I know that they didn't tell his family uh, for a while which I thought was interesting um, because they knew about his health issues but they didn't know that I was donor conceived for a while um, I believe they told him when I was probably around probably the same time they told me just in case it came up um, yep. but that could have been a piece of it um i think there's a lot more going on that kind of contributed to that mm. and ellie it seems like you are the connector of these uh other women we've got in here today uh so how did your story come about um so my mother 
and my, I grew up with the mom and dad. Um, my father, there's a huge age difference between my mother and my father. And my father had been previously married and had um, a son and a daughter from that marriage. And uh, I grew up with them as my siblings. They're 19 and 17 years older than me. So by the time I was born, they were pretty much out of the house, but they were always around. And as I got older, I think I was about 16 or so, um, we had family photos done and I'm just looking and I'm like, you know, they look just like dad. Where do I fit in here? You know, they're both, um, my sister's five foot and my brother's maybe five, three and I'm five, five and I'm the tall one and I don't look like dad. And, and so I started to kind of question and I would occasionally ask my mom a question and she'd just be like, Oh, you know, that's, that's in your head. That's your imagining things. And, um, as I got older, I really started to question what was, what was going on. And, um, I was in the car with my mom and I was about to go visit my sister. Um, she lived out of state. And I said to her, my mom, I said, when I'm gone, I'm going to ask my sister to do a DNA test, um, with me and either we're going to match or we're not. So why don't you kind of just tell me what's going on here? And, um, she broke down in tears and she said that they had used a sperm donor to conceive, um, that my dad had had a vasectomy after his first marriage. And then when he met my mother, she really wanted children. So they had gone that route. And, um, for me, it definitely was going, you know, I, they didn't tell me number one, because they were advised not to. And number two, because it would have been hard for my dad. He never wanted me to think I was not his. He never wanted there to be that disconnect. Um, so when she told me, she was like, I don't even want your dad to know that, you know, it would break his heart. Eventually he knew that I knew and it was just, you know, nothing, but I think that that would have been really hard for him. You found out. And then what's your instant you found Robin and you found Maddie when you had this can of worms open up in your life, does your head explode and go, oh, wow, there could be other, you know, donor siblings out there? You know, is, is that one of the first thoughts that comes to your mind? What was the pattern between all that? Because obviously you went out there, you put yourself on a few platforms. I think you um, were a donor sibling registry and a couple of other DNA um, tests, which costs money to sign up to, of course. What was your mind frame straight after that? Um, so as soon as I found out my, you know, it took me a minute to process the, my dad's not biologically my dad. And I think that it was less of an emotional process and more of just like a really getting around that concept. And then it hit me and it was like, wait, there's probably other kids out there. Um, and I immediately found out where my mother had, um, received the donation and contacted them and got my donor sibling number um, and went to the donor sibling registry where I found Maddie. So we connected off of the registry first. Um, and then we decided, you know, we had met, we obviously could see features in each other. And we decided to do um, the original DNA test we did was with 23andMe um, to see if we would find other siblings there. And there weren't any other siblings there. Obviously we matched to each other, um, but there was, there was nobody else there. So I said, well, I'll go test with Ancestry and we'll see what we can find there. And that's where we found our first match, which was Ani. Um, and after that Ancestry at that point, I think it's changed now, but at that point you could download your raw DNA from Ancestry and upload it to other sites, which is how I ended up 
matching to Robin is because I went to all of the smaller sites and uploaded my raw DNA, which then gave me the ability to match to their database. So you're obviously more on time because I signed up with every single one of them and paid individually. So yeah, that's a rookie mistake on my behalf. Uh, <laughs> uh, so how would you, let's put this question to Maddie. How would you describe you know, you've grown up, you've had your friends and family or cousins or, you know, the dynamic. What would you describe your relationship with your uh, half, um, half siblings through the help of donor 8928 Bryce? It's weird because I went into it not necessarily expecting to actually connect with people. Like, you know, of course you, you share blood, but I grew up in a family where we adopted quote unquote, a lot of people into our family who we didn't share blood with. So I didn't necessarily go in thinking, Oh, you know, these people are going to be my best friends, but I had a lot of high hopes um, because I had been raised as the only child in the house. So I had always like longed for a sibling and it was really cool because there was actually that instant connection of like, not only do we look alike, we have similar mannerisms, you know, we speak in certain ways that maybe aren't so similar, but are similar enough that it feels familiar. And the really cool thing was I actually brought my mom along the first time I met Allie and, you know, my mom knows me very well. And she was able to see things in Allie and I that were clearly traits of being sisters. And so all those things together made for a really special relationship or at least the start of one. And then I think the core group of us siblings that have gotten close, it's because we all are emotionally invested and everyone's put a lot of time and money and energy into making sure that we see each other and we have opportunities to learn who each other are. Because, you know, when you meet in your early twenties as siblings for the first time, it's, there are things that are automatic and then there are things that you still have to build just like any other friendship. And now that you've built these connections and friendships, is it a different feeling? Is it, you know, obviously you've got a link of blood and DNA connected as well, which people say it's not necessarily a major thing. And some people say it view it differently. <laughs> Do you feel that there's a more of allegiance and connection than to say a normal best friend? I do. Like it's kind of indescribable and intangible. I don't really know why, but I do feel immediately bonded with all my siblings in some way or another. And then I think the shared experience of all being donor conceived, you don't meet many people unless you're looking for them online who are donor conceived. And so to have someone immediately know what that's like, um, you know, to have that shock of being told or to be struggling with your own family connections because of this, you know, in a lot of cases lie that has been told to you. Like, I think there's a certain amount of bonding that happens because we all share that as well. And Robin, you, you three came together with Oni and, uh, you know, it looks like you're on a, a little mission to start finding who else is part of the, uh, the group or who else is that might have this similar connection with you. My understanding was that you were the first person to start suggesting about reaching out and finding the donor. Uh, whereas I think uh, Ali and Maddie, correct me if I'm wrong, um, you were more inclined of finding siblings and weren't specifically interested in in that so how did you 
And uh, Robin, I'll let you answer this. Um, how did you convey, you know, for you, the importance of reaching out to the donor and where you weigh it up in, you know, um, the path of finding siblings or, um, you know, that how did, how did that all go about? Yeah, so when I matched with Allie and Maddie, I asked them if they knew who the donor was and they said, yes, but we haven't reached out. They had no interest in reaching out. And it was less, it wasn't that I wanted a relationship because despite me and my dad who raised me being estranged, I had many friends, dads, and all of that in my life that kind of filled that void of having a dad. It was honestly curiosity. I wanted to know, I wanted to know more medical history. That was a big part because that's mostly why I did it my son. Um, but also I wanted to know what kind of person he was. I matched with my siblings and they were all awesome people and so different, but similar in their same way. So I kind of wanted to see, is that there with our donor as well? I reached out through Facebook first and it was through Facebook messenger and was very much of, hi, I'm here just for information, kind of take it or leave it. Like I'm perfectly fine if you have no interest because he was an anonymous donor. There was no expectation that he should have a relationship with us or whatever, but it was one of those of just kind of testing the waters a little bit. And he said, hi, I'm happy to talk to you. I'm not going to Facebook friend you which was perfectly fine with me because I didn't, I didn't need to see his pictures. I didn't need to see all that, but just the fact that he was willing to talk to me was huge. Um, and I remember reaching out to Allie and Maddie and Ani and being like, so this is the email that I'm working on to tell Bryce about myself. And it, it was nerve wracking to send that first email because I basically said, Hey, how this relationship typically in my head would work as I tell you about myself. So you can tell me about you. So I wrote a probably six paragraph thing of just random things about myself in hopes to get him to reciprocate, which he did. And it was super important to me that I give that information to Allie, Maddie and Ani, because even though they weren't interested in a relationship or reaching out to him, it's still information that would be cool to know. And so he gave me some background about how he was raised, his medical history and all of that. And I showed it to them and that kind of kicked everything off um, going forward. Mm, it seemed like it opened up another can of worms, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> so, Ali, were you uh, against Robin reaching out? You know, did you have your, was it like a little meeting between you all that you're like, Robin says she's going to reach out and, and everyone's like, no, 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 no. Or, you know, what's it like, you know, being a, a donor sibling, because it seems like a lot of donor siblings out there, they're more interested in meeting uh, people similar age to them rather than the uncool donor. <laughs> Is that sort of where it was at? Or, you know, what was, you know, why was they more interested in meeting siblings, but not the donor? Um, so I, I had figured out who our donor was um, 
honestly, I think two years earlier, just through um, internet sleuthing and, and figuring it out. And um, I had looked at a picture of him online. And for me, that filled everything I needed. I, I could point out similar features and that's really all I was looking for there. So personally, I, I didn't want to reach out to him. I didn't need anything from him. And I feel like, or felt like that was kind of the, the feeling of me, Maddie and Ani as well. And, um, when Robin came in and wanted to reach out to him, that didn't bother me at all because part of this process is understanding that each person that comes in is their own person and respecting what they're wanting to do and how they're processing. And so the fact that she wanted to reach out, that's, that's her choice. And, um, I fully supported her. I was really hopeful for her that she wouldn't get any sense of rejection, um, because I, I could imagine how that would make somebody feel, but, I was really just supportive of that. And when she decided to share the information that she had received from him, I was also really appreciative of that because even though I didn't personally want to make that contact, um, she had, you know, updated medical history, which was lovely for us. So. And Maddie, you've got other siblings out there. Uh, how many is that? I think in the end of the vice episode, it said there was 20 confirmed siblings. Is that risen? since or is that still currently where it's at as far as we know that's where it's currently at um they reached out right before they put the final piece live and confirmed that with us so it it was fairly up-to-date info yeah but yeah really we we don't know and we may never know unfortunately how would you describe your relationship with the other uh, 16 or 17 out there uh you know as you said you it's a it's a it's a fair pool of people and you're all going to have different thoughts and um, different ideologies and, and stuff like that. And I think people say when you're um, donor conceived and to have that many siblings out there per se, that you feel that you, some people feel that you have to have that same connection with all of them. Is that not true? Like it's like people in the have um, a, in a nuclear family per se have two or three siblings that say that, and uh, you know, they don't necessarily best friends with all their um, brothers and sisters. And sometimes quite often they're not at all. Is that a factor that, you know, do you feel that um, because there's 20 of you that you feel that you haven't got enough time for all, all that, or how do you manage all that? Well, maybe thankfully, then the amount of us that actually know each other um, is a lot smaller than 20. We, through the lawsuit, through other venues, we know of the number of us, but we don't actually know who those people, who all those people are. So thankfully, like our group that we have names for is, you know, maybe half that, um, which makes it a little easier to chew on. I think when I, when I hear of sibling groups of like 30 or 50 or even a hundred, I just am in awe of the people who handle that. Cause it, it would be really overwhelming. I think for me, like every time a new sibling comes along, I always try and, you know, have a conversation with them. And I think, um, I just want to give them a chance to, to come into the group and like get to know people. But if they, aren't interested in it or it's too much for them. Like I try and just respect that and kind of go at their pace because myself and Allie have the benefit of like, we learned right at the start and we've had all of this come in kind of digestible pieces. Whereas 
people who find out now that they're in our sibling group, they have, they're walking into a lot, like they're walking into so much family all of a sudden, so many strangers. Um, so I try and have empathy for that and just like, let them take the relationship where they want to take it. It's interesting, really. It's sort of like you're a founding member of your little tribe that you've uh, <laughs> you found and uh, <laughs> and uh, you still don't know how many are out there. Uh, but looking back at it now, would you rather be in that situation of obviously being there from the very beginning and then like just meeting each person that comes at uh, whatever period of time that they pop up that uh, then rather than walking straight into it and going, well, there's you know, this, this person, this person, this person, this person here to talk? Like, do you feel that being around from the very start of, of uh, finding out your um, donor siblings out there, that that was probably beneficial for you than coming out in a later stage? Yeah, I'm very grateful to have been one of the early ones. I think my emotions about Bryce and the whole situation have evolved a lot over the last, you know, six years or so. And to have the benefit of time um, and growth has been really important for me. I can't imagine coming in at this stage and being told, oh, by the way, there's a giant lawsuit. Oh, by the way, you have 20 siblings. Oh, by the way, your anonymous donor is not anonymous. Here he is. Um, so I, I think given the way I process things, I'm very thankful I didn't get it all at once. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot to take on for new people that would... Uh come from this and uh you know i thought after watching the the vice there would have been a few more thoughts popping to people's heads and a few more um people popping up um which probably will do in in a manner you know you just don't know do you but i mean is there i think a lot of people uh and i spoke to kiani in uh, episode 12 and she had, uh, I think, 54 siblings at that time. And I think now it's in the 60s. Uh, it's hard to keep up, obviously, over, as time goes on. Uh, and she really embraces it, though, and uh, goes out and, and meets them. And, uh, you know, it seems like she's got a lot of friendships and a lot of love to give as well. But her only um, regret, uh, well, not regret, um, is just not knowing how many in total there are. Uh, now that can really weigh people down because I think people worry about incest and all that sort of stuff. And, um, but how do you process it in a way that it doesn't get you down too much? Is it, you know, if you knew everyone out there was out there and there was a total of say 25 and you got five remaining, you know, is it, exciting each like a, a new time when a person comes out try reaches out and connects or you connect with them is, is it is it it's hard to explain because it's so such a unique dynamic that you you guys are faced with um yeah. but yeah ha, is it is there a sense of excitement when you find someone new definitely and ali and i joke about this like now at this stage we call it the onboarding um like every time a new person pops up uh, a new sibling, I should say, you know, we kind of go back and forth like, okay, who's going to onboard them, you know, because there's just so much to to know and to deliver that news compassionately and at the pace of how the new person needs it and wants it and will receive it well um, takes a little bit of thought. And so that's always taken with a lot of consideration, like how we're going to approach that person or what we're going to 
say to them right off the bat. And I am still excited every time a sibling pops up because you don't know what their life story is. And it's always really fun to see the overlaps in our stories too. Like a lot of us have very, very uh, parallel lives in a lot of ways. Um, And just seeing that and how I guess everyone's experience can be so different, but the same is always really cool. And Ellie, so you guys have got um, a similar upbringing in sense so that you had a mother and father figure raising you to begin with, at least. What's the other dynamics of the other families? You know, is it same sex? Is it single mothers? Or are they, are they predominantly heterosexuals? Uh, what's, what's the rest of the dynamic is, you know, did the clinic specialize in just helping heterosexuals, uh, um, couples, uh, yeah. What, what are you finding in, in that dynamic? And are you finding if there, if there is differences in upbringings of, uh, family dynamics, is there different, are you noticing a trend in different views? Uh, you know, as Maddie said, there's the onboarding, you know, if you have someone that comes from, um, a, uh, a same sex family that knew they were donating seeds from the very beginning. Um, is it different to how you would uh, address someone that didn't, didn't find out later in life like yourself? Um, yeah. So how, how does that all roll? Um, so I can tell you that in the group of us, we have, um, we have heterosexual um, mother and father who are st- still married. We have mother and father who divorced early um, you know, mother and father divorced in the teens. We have um, two mothers. We have single mothers by choice. It's, we, it's really um, been kind of a variety of relationships. There um, definitely wasn't just one specific parental unit that they serviced. It, it kind of was in general because we all have such different um, stories there. Um, necessarily say that that has different views between us. I think what's different is when you have a brother come in who's known his whole life that he was donor conceived. I think it's a little bit quicker for them to come in and understand the situation and receive that information faster. Whereas when you have somebody come in who this is a shock to them, they're still processing the fact that they're a donor child. And then you add in, there's this many of us. And then you add in, there's a lawsuit and here's your donor and all of those things. It's a lot to take in. So I think that the, the children who are offspring who have had the knowledge their whole lives are able to process that a lot faster. So I, I wouldn't call it differing views, just a different, different ability to absorb the information. And what about your ability to connect with each other? Obviously we've got three of you here today and you're, and you're all female. Um, you know, is there like the boys that, you know, hang out together as, as well, you know, it was, you know, when you, when you find a new, um, potential sibling coming on board with the onboarding, uh, you know, do you, yeah, you look forward to it being another girl to welcome to the group and, you know, to the sister club. <laughs> so, um, you know, is there any feelings like that? Um, you know, so it was Maddie and I, and then we met Ani and um, Ani is two years younger than me and three years younger than Maddie and immediately became the little brother. Um, I would not say in any means that we are the girls and the boys. Um, every time we've gotten together, it's been, I mean, every time we've gotten together as a group, it's been all of us. I'm sure that the boys have a conversation and chat here and there, but we have a group chat and it's, it's all of us. Um, And, you know, I think that Ani has really enjoyed his 
little brother role. And I think that, you know, another brother that's come in is, is enjoying having brothers and sisters. Like it's definitely all one, one group, as far as those of us who are, who are close. And Robin, who, who, who is the oldest? Like what is the pecking order? Um, you know, we've got Maddie here today, Ali and yourself, you know, the, if you are the youngest and someone else younger pops in, you're like, yes, I'm no younger than the youngest anymore. No longer the baby of the group, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, also on retrospect uh, where Bryce said he only wanted five children. If you were in the five oldest, you're like, yes, I would have been born. And then if you were younger than that five, or you, if you were fifth and then a, a person older comes, you're like, I wouldn't have been born now if Bryce had his wish of the clinic. How does that all work out? Yeah, so I am right in the middle, which is not where I thought I would be. Like, I always kind of pictured myself that if I was going to have siblings, I'd be the oldest just because of my personality type. Um, I'm not. I believe if I've got my numbers right, I'm the third or the fourth. Yeah, fourth. Fourth, possibly fifth, according to Allie. Um, <laughs> he has a spreadsheet for all this, so it's great. Um <laughs> But it's interesting because, like, the oldest of us, I'm pretty sure, is born in 90, where he donated in the late 80s. So there very well could be siblings that come along that are older than all of us um, and might push our pecking order down a little bit. Um, I don't know if that's going to change my views at all, whether I'm in that first five or not. Um it's just interesting because we are all so close in age. I think there's maybe a five year age difference from the oldest to the youngest right now, which is interesting um, because I know my mom um, tried again with Bryce's sample um, when I was six. Um, so we definitely know that there could be younger people because it was still available yeah. six years after 92. Um so it's, it's interesting every time we get a new sibling to see where the order kind of differs and where we rank. But um, I don't know. I never really thought about whether I was in that five or not. I, I was the oldest and somebody came along and bumped me out and I, I was a little salty about it. I won't lie. <laughs> I think it's also uh, fair to note that had the, had the clinic respected um, their contact with Bryce, that none of us would have been born because we were all born in Oregon, whereas he was promised that his offspring would bo be born on the East coast. So mm. five or not really, all of us were kind of not supposed to, to happen here. I mean, Ellie, you've, uh, I've seen the videos of you sitting by him um, on the CNN websites and all the news media websites and stuff like that. And you seemed like you were really rolled up that his wishes weren't respected. It's an interesting viewpoint that you were um, there and you were supporting him. And, and I totally agree in the aspect of regulation and, and the clinics being deceitful over there that there needs to be change. Uh, and obviously now you can't go back in a time machine and, and respect his wishes and change all that. Is it a blessing in disguise though, that they didn't respect it for, for you to have your connections that you do, uh, you know, or that some of you might not be alive if they had have respected it. I mean, is it sort of one side of the coin? You're like, yes, what the clinics did was wrong. And as if I was the donor, that would be definitely my, um, opinion and, and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. But then for you um, as well to, to potentially go, well, I wouldn't have been here and, and not alive. 
if this if they didn't do that i mean it must be hard to when when you get find out about this lawsuit happening to weigh up that sort of emotion of like okay well yeah i wouldn't have been here if they had respected him you know is that sort of something that you had to um, digest um for me my uh support of bryce and his lawsuit is um I've, I've had to separate that completely from, from my being and, and the wrong that was done to him. I think maybe it is just an emotional thing to process. And, and I haven't let myself go there really um, right now. It's, this is, this is wrong. This was done to him and it needs to be acknowledged in the very least. And um, we, we wouldn't be here if they had respected that. And I'm, thankful that we're alive. I'm thankful that we were born to loving mothers, you know, people who wanted children, our mothers wanted children and wanted us so desperately that they did whatever they needed to do to become mothers. And I'm thankful that sperm donation is, is available to women like that. Um, however, it is in, it, it's infuriating to know that these men who are attempting to help families can be so taken advantage of. And I think that those two things really need to be different. The appreciation of the ability to have a sperm donor and the anger of what's happening in these clinics. And Robin, you were the one that was contacting Bryce. Uh, I'm presuming off memory that you were the one that got the, the first news of a potential lawsuit coming. How did you take that all in and we, you know, was that a big shock for you as well? I actually didn't know about the lawsuit first, but I was the one that was told that there would only be five first. Um, he put that in his email and it was interesting because in his email, he says, I, they, I was told there'd be no more than five and they'd be on the opposite coast. And then he put dot, dot, dot. I think they may have lied just because he found out that I was from Roseburg and he had already matched with a couple people on Ancestry. And so it's, it's not that it surprised me that he was doing a lawsuit. It was just, I knew that at that moment when I saw that there was only supposed to be five, we were all supposed to be on the opposite coast. I kind of got that kind of pit in your stomach where you know that something's wrong here. That was emphasized when I talked to Allie and Maddie and they shared um, what they had learned from OHSU beforehand. Um, so it didn't surprise me that a lawsuit was coming. It, it did kind of add a little bit of a ripple of, okay, something's going to be done about this. I, I just kind of jumped into, I want to do whatever I can to best help the situation. Um, Allie, Maddie, all of us were, were on the same page that what was done was wrong. He shouldn't have been lied to. His donation should have been used in the way that they said he was going, it was going to be. Um, and we wanted to support him in that in any way that we could. Did he have anything in writing from the clinic or did he just walk in and they're like, no, no, it'll be for five families and we'll send it over to the East coast. Uh, you know, did he have any evidence in formal writing that he signed and papers that he has, or is it just, um, you know, is it just hearsay of like his honesty, their word against his? Uh, that's something that's uh, 
being handled in the lawsuit um, as far as what documentation that they have of that. I don't think that that's information that we are, we have available to know whether it was um, written documentation or if it's just something that he remembers that's happened. Mm. Cause I mean, look, I signed up, I'm a donor. I've signed up to all the uh, uh, DNA testing sites and stuff. And when I did that, um, it was a conscious decision of by doing this, it allows people to find me and connect with me. And, you know, Bryce seems like a very smart man. He's a, he's a doctor. He went to a medical school. Uh, you know, I think the, it was documented that his wife bought him an ancestry kit. Now, um, if I was a mass murderer, like the Golden State Killer and all that sort of stuff, the last thing I would be wanting is any of my family or me going, signing up to any DNA sites. Um, you know, and with the amount of stories in the last 10 years, especially, or, you know, last 15 years of all these um, people finding each other through that, he knew he knew he donated. And yeah, whether or not he thought it was just five people or not, there was a good chance that someone was going to contact him. So, you know, what, what was your understanding of why he signed up to Ancestry? It's, it's sort of... I don't know. I don't, I don't believe that he was oblivious to the fact that you could have reached out and contacted him. Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, I think he thought there was a, a chance that we would contact him. Um, again, he was thinking no more than five, and that's much more digestible than 20 plus. Um, also, he was a medical student who was recruited into this program. This isn't something that he actively sought out. He was a medical student who they approached him and said, hey, will you come do this program to help people with infertility? And he, from my understanding, he really struggled with that because he didn't necessarily want his future children interacting with donor children. And that's why the only reason he agreed was after they gave, they told him whether it was in writing or not, that there would only be a certain amount and on the opposite coast. And I think that that kind of comforted him. And so when his second wife got him the DNA test and it was kind of like a, Hey, everybody's doing this. Let's see what your ethnical makeup is and all that. I think that he probably had that thought in the back of his head of, Oh, I donated back in the eighties. Like that might come up. I don't think that he was oblivious to that, but I definitely don't think that he was expecting what he got. For me. And I'm sure it's with um, all of you as well. When a, when a, um, a donor story comes out or, or um, a big media um, story about another donor, donor sibling and family, we, um, we look at it and we, we take a bit more special notice towards it compared to if we, you know, if, if I wasn't a donor, I probably wouldn't really click that button and look at that link. If I, if you weren't donor conceived, you probably wouldn't click that link and have a look at that. And if he had a donor, but there was, you know, a lot of stories in the eighties and early nineties and even now where it was found out and it's quite common knowledge now that we were all lied to in the fact of that there was only going to be an X amount of siblings born um, per se. Uh, and then we're finding out, you know, there's 50 or a hundred or 150 or, you know, some astronomical numbers. And um, 
he would have been reading these stories going, I wonder if there is only five because every other news story that's come out, no clinics are really respecting anyone's numbers. And I feel that um, him coming out and doing what he's doing is a good thing to try and make change to ensure change. But, you know, his son's a lawyer and stuff like that. And, you know, to get, get a figure of 5.25 million, you know, obviously I thought hopefully legislation in place in, in the USA in particular and stuff and a bit more regulation. So I'm all for that. But I feel that he would have known in his mind he donated for a year and got paid $40 per donation. That's a long lot of donations, you know, to, you know, if I was donating, um, at a clinic for over a period of a year, I'd be happily collecting the $40 per se each time. It's a bit of money as a medical student to go out and spend. And I think a lot of donors in America still say that, uh, 80% of them still say that they do it for money, money incentive reasons and stuff like that. But I would have asked the question of, well, how many, you know, I've been donating for a year now. How many kids is that going to make? You know, like if it's five, you know, you just go, well, how long do you need me for? Yeah, Maddie? I was just going to say in a lot of cases, so many samples have to be used to to create one human. You know, with IVF, I think you can be, you can get to the end process a lot quicker. Whereas like my parents conceived on what was their last hope. They had, you know, gone in every month for a whole year and every time, you know, they got a, a negative on the pregnancy test. And so there, I think, you know, knowing what he knew, being a medical student, knowing how this stuff works, like, I don't want to speak for him by any means, because I've not talked to him about this. But, you know, it, it's reasonable to consider too, that those samples would, you know, not all result in a baby, like one donation doesn't necessarily equal one baby, but maybe that's naive of me. I, I think it's also important to note in this specific situation that um, OHSU here in Portland, Oregon is a massive research hospital. Mm. And so as uh, to my knowledge, from what I have heard, this was approached to him as a, you, you can help up to five families, but this is also a fertility research situation. So I, I don't really find it far-fetched that he would have believed that there would have been five births because OHSU is known for doing medical research. And I, I think that that was part of that as well. So he expected five children to be born. Replied back to you, Robin, that he was quite upset that to find out that there's more now. Uh, he sent his second oldest son, I believe, to meet you that was the lawyer you know how do you find your relationship with um him is it different to the other donors um out there uh you know and or is it sort of a bit more business for this um this guy to get this result of um uh legislation or doing what justice per se uh how would you describe your relationship with uh, his natural um children that he's brought up in his own relationship yeah, our relationship with James is a little bit different. Obviously, there's a little more curiosity there, I guess, because we can ask him questions about his dad, um, where the other ones of us wouldn't know that. But at the same time, we 
that was the one time that we all got together in person and kind of hung out. We talked after Vice was filming for the time that he had driven up and my husband and I, we made a whole trip since it was across country and we actually saw him and his wife afterwards and had a great meeting. I would say it is a little bit more businessy and he keeps us informed on what's going on with the lawsuit and that's pretty much the extent if we wanted to ask him questions I think that he'd be perfectly open to answer any questions but he kind of gave us the same bit as we give each other of when somebody new comes into the group you kind of get their life story and he gave us similar with him um so I think that there's still a dynamic, but it definitely is a little bit different, especially because as Maddie said earlier, when you meet a fellow donor sibling, you all, you all have that in common of you are donor conceived. It's a, it's a weird thread that having that in common kind of bridges a lot of gaps where James doesn't have that in common. It's instead that we have this person in common as opposed to this situation. You all have similar features, except for him, really, on the on the video of Pirates, which I found was quite uh, not, not not funny, but yeah, just um, it was it's interesting when you meet each other. You know, do you observe looking at each other and go, "Oh, she's got my nose," or "He's got my eyes"? You know, I think there's traits of uh, brown hair, green eyes as a sort of uh, a trait. Um, you know, obviously, when you're seeing a person that could be potentially linked to you, you know, you're looking at them going, "Hmm, like you know, are are we?" related how, how are those thoughts a hundred percent we have had that thought of when we found when we were looking at Bryce on Facebook he had pictures of his kids and so I remember before we even met James that we were looking at that but yeah so there was there was definitely that kind of back of our head of it's interesting that all the donor siblings look alike but then James and his brother is not so much we made a joke of it when we sat down and had dinner with him on the Vice documentary. But it's one thing that I know that we all do, especially on Facebook, if we get somebody randomly popping into our people you may know and we have no mutual friends, we're automatically like, okay, what does the nose look like? What are the eye color? Like we're dissecting that, sending pictures to each other going, did anybody match with this person on any sites and kind of having that dialogue there and maddie uh you've got a a sibling out there called jake is my understanding and uh on the vice uh show jake spoke about that he wanted to give back and and potentially donate and now this uh experience has um put it up put off to him now um which is understandably so and you know for me as a donor as well i looked at donating at a clinic and uh um I didn't feel comfortable with that because I had my own two children and a lot of heterosexual couples, especially as you probably know the trouble of um, them wanting to reveal to you that um, you're not biologically theirs because they feel it might compromise your relationship. You know, for me, it was, I wasn't going to donate at a clinic because I didn't know who would go there. And it looks like you've all been, you know, raised up in different dynamic, but overall you're happy, happily, um, happy people, um, normal people in society. And for me, it was like, well, bad people go to clinics as well. Um, you know, that bad people have money as well. So for me, it was like, I could never donate at a clinic because I'd rather meet the potential 
couple or family or same-sex um, same family or single mother by choice, sit down, have a few meetings with them, get on board and say, uh, look, this is a situation I'm donating. Uh, look, will your child be, you know, are you open to not being anonymous and telling your child that growing up that they're going to be donor conceived and being able to uh, happily link your children once they come of age and, and happy to do so. Uh, whereas, you know, at the clinic, it's sort of you're dealing with a third party that isn't really honest with you and uh, you're handing over your sperm to this party that's all about profit. And, um, you know, they're a business, they're a corporation, they're on share markets and stuff like this. And, and the people, the CEOs are getting um, bonuses if they hit um, criterias and stuff. So there's no, you know, the system set out in a way that it's just so monetized. Do you agree with Jake not wanting to donate a clinic? And none of you got you guys here, but would you be more inclined yourself if you were to go the donor donor route if your partners were infertile through a known donor than say through a clinic? Yeah, it's something I've thought about a lot. Um, not because I think I'll have to use a donor, but you never know. And I've put myself in my mother's shoes and tried to think about, you know, if, if I were in that situation, would I, knowing what I know and what I, knowing what I've gone through, like, would I actually go through with a donor? And it's really hard. And I don't even know that I, I have made a decision yet um, because, I mean, I know that if I were to do it, I'd for sure use a known donor and not an not an anonymous donor, but it's so tough because obviously so many people want to be biologically related to their child. And I think I would want to as well, but the ramifications that can come from it for all the reasons you just said are so heavy and they weigh heaviest on the child that's conceived out of the situation who really has no say. Um, so I struggle with it. I, I want to think that I would choose adoption or another option, but you know, that's a privilege that I have uh, in my own life. Whereas, you know, if I had a same-sex partner or another situation, I might not have that, all those options in every country. So it's tough. I, I really don't know where I stand, but I, I understand why Jake would be hesitant too. Um, when I was finding out I was donor conceived, my boyfriend at the time actually had the same revelation. He's like, well, I was actually considering being a donor, uh, but you know, looking at you and seeing a real person that would come from that, um, it actually scared him out of it. So I think if clinics were more upfront with both parties, you know, recipient parents and potential donors about exactly what could come from donation, um, you would get people entering into it who are ready for all of that. And I think instead you end up with a lot of situations where people are ill-equipped to deal with the emotions that come from it. And uh, who here is in a relationship? All of us. <laughs> so you've all got partners. And obviously, for me, if I had a girlfriend that had a um, big extensive family, like you, your unique family, like you, you all have, how do the partners cope? Are they very supportive? Are they just as interested in meeting a person? Or they're like, oh, not another one? Or, you know, how... How are the emotions? <laughs> uh, I'm going to, can I take this one, girls? <laughs> um, so 
I was actually married to somebody else when I discovered this and met Maddie and um, my ex-husband was extremely unsupportive of it. He did not understand that there would be any emotional desire to meet your siblings or, or know those. And I think that, you know, there's, there's quite a few people who feel that way, who think the family you were raised with is your family. And why would you have this emotional connection to people that you weren't raised with? My current husband is the opposite and has been extremely supportive and understands the natural desire to want to know who you share blood with. Um, so I, but, but I think it would be fair to say that you get, you get both ends of that. There's people who don't understand why or, or what you're looking for. And then there's people who, who do understand that natural desire. And um, I think that we, if I can speak for us all, have partners who have been supportive of what we're doing. You know, do you think sperm donation is good for parents that particularly only want one child? Um, you know, you're growing up as an only child. I, I grew up with a sister and I even wish I had another brother or an yeah, preferably a brother <laughs> growing up thinking that way anyway but do you feel it, as a only child growing up in a uh, and I guess this would be more um, Robin and um, Maddie but in your case you did have a big age group difference between yourself as well so essentially you probably would have felt like a um, an only child situation per se um, but do you feel that if your parents were only going to use have one child that is potentially a good thing for to have those connections out there? Um, I don't know that it's any better. I think having a sibling to process everything with would be kind of nice. Um, you know, having someone who has that shared experience that you also share maybe a mother with, um, that could be really nice. But I do think that, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a tough question, but I, I don't think there's necessarily a, a pro or a con either way. I think, um, you know, we have a set of sisters who, who have the same mother and, you know, they're, they have a very close relationship. They are obviously glad to have been, uh, both raised in the same household. Whereas all of us who grew up as, you know, only children in the house with older brothers and sisters, maybe living outside the house, I think we all had a, a slightly different experience and, I'm sure I wasn't the only only child who wanted siblings always. <laughs> yeah, you've connected with a pair that are full-blooded siblings and uh, they don't seem to have as much connection or want, uh, wanting involvement. It seems like their needs are fulfilled and they're happy with their own, their own connection to um, further uh, open their mind up to the horizons of potentially making more connections and stuff like that. You know, are we looking for siblings now that haven't come forward that meet the criteria of maybe they've got other full-blooded siblings out there? You know, do you find in the donor-conceived people um, world that people that are brought up solo are look, tending to look for, look for siblings compared to other people in different situations? Is, is that a trend or is it just completely random still? Or what, like, what have you found within your own family dynamic Um yeah, like what's your analyzation of all that? I know for me, I I wanted to do this to find siblings because I was raised an only child. Um, and I think that it probably is more prevalent or even if it's, 
even if it's not using the same donor, um, if a couple has two kids, they might use two different donors. I know that I had a coworker who was in that situation of their parents wanted multiple kids. The first donor that they used wasn't available, so they would use a second donor. I know that my mother is very supportive of me finding siblings because that was something that she wanted me to have growing up was siblings. And like I said before, she tried using Bryce again um, to give me a full-blooded sibling, but it didn't take. So it's one of those that was something that she was really grateful that came out of this, even if she wasn't expecting as many as we have, but she's very grateful for the relationships that I've built through finding my siblings. The the VICE feature that you did was it captured a lot of captured a lot. You know, it was it seemed it showed the uniqueness of your relationship, the processing of understanding and and trying to put all these pieces of the jigsaw together and and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, the story of Bryce came out, I'm guessing, and then I'm, uh, how did the Vice approach use and how did this, you know, how did this uh, production get put together? Um, so I went and supported Bryce when his attorneys released um, or had the press conference that they were filing this lawsuit. And um, they, I had been in talks with them and been in support of what they were doing and they asked me to come. And I was not anticipating what happened. And actually none of us were anticipating that. I remember going in um, to that press conference and being told like, um, you know, they're, they're recording and then the news clips everything out. So give yourself a minute to, to situate your words. And then we all walked out of the conference um, and sat in a room and, and realized that that had been live stream and that people were already seeing it and already calling us and news news was reaching out. I mean, it was instant. And I personally was not expecting um, what happened with that. And so I was contacted by multiple um, media outlets wanting to talk to us, wanting to, to do something. And, and at first I really just filtered those all to Bryce's attorney and just said, you know, kind of talk to them. There was a second interview that um, we did the day after the press conference that they had set up and, um, and advice vice had reached out to me immediately, but I didn't see the message. They, they used something else and I didn't see the message right away. And so by the time I saw Vice's message, things had kind of settled down. And um, I approached the siblings and said, this is, this is who's contacting me. Is this something that you guys would be interested in doing? And everybody was pretty positive and interested in, in talking with them. So Vice came along after the whole uproar of the press conference, which was probably good timing for them. And how would you describe your experience of doing it? You know, would you advise other um, people that were donor conceived with a story to tell to do something like that? You know, was, did you feel that your message got put across to, uh, you know, did you, did you feel comfortable with, with the whole process in the end? And, you know, were you happy with the production? I'm very happy with how it turned out. I think they were really true to our story. Like there was, there was no weird editing to make us, you know, say things that we weren't saying. It was all very much what was happening and how we experienced it. I think, you know, Allie mentioned she got contacted by a lot of different media folks. And, you know, we had people like Dr. Phil reach out to us at one point. And 
we turned those opportunities down because we're not interested in being made into a spectacle mm-hmm. or, you know, we're not interested in being made to cry on camera because, oh, you know, our, our dad's suing because we're alive or anything sensational like that. Um, so for me personally, I was happy with the way Vice did it because they were more interested in telling telling people about the problems in the fertility industry. And I think most of the siblings would agree that like, that's kind of our goal in doing anything in the public eye is like bringing attention to the wrongs that have been done um, and the wrongs that are still being done every single day. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a trap that some people fall into, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, Dr. Phil reaching out there, they're reaching out to you and they're thinking, oh, this is, could be good ratings for us. And we'll edit them to, as you said, cry. And this is good, good, good stuff rather than, giving you a platform that just tells your story how it is no mayonnaise no you know no you trying to sell to get money from it or you know to get good ratings and stuff like that and yeah um i would have been probably nervous going into that going um you know how's this going to turn out but the way it did come out it did seem like it just was very level-headed and explained the scenario and you know do you have advice for um other people to their homework did you just do your research into the producers and stuff like that you know how what would your advice be for people thinking about or who have been approached about um doing a tv piece or a, a, an online stream piece um so i you know i will fully admit that i didn't necessarily do my research um with that but i will tell you that what really sold me on on doing the piece with vice was just the the difference in conversations with the producer. Um, I know we've, we've talked about Dr. Phil for an example, when they contacted me, it was um, the day after the press conference. I actually had my daughter um, two days later, I was in the hospital and they were like, Hey, can we get you out here on Monday and, and do this? And it was just so like rushed and we want to jump on this while it's a big story. Whereas the producer um, from vice, she spoke to us a lot. She took the time to listen to our side of it, to understand the full story. I I personally spent tons of time on the phone with her before they came out and filmed. And I know that my siblings did as well. So the amount of time that went in with these producers before they came and filmed us was, was a lot. And we knew that they were going to take the time to tell our story the way we wanted it to be told. So when was it um, recorded and then how long did the process of it from start to finish before it got published? Um, you know, there would have been a bit of a wait, I'm guessing, and uh, you would have been probably a little bit nervous on how it was going to come out and and see and how you, how you, I mean, obviously you get an idea of how you're going to be portrayed, but with the power of editing these days, you just really don't know until it comes out, you know? So yeah, how did that all finalise? Uh, we filmed the piece with Vice in February of 2020. So one month before um, coronavirus really took um, the United States there is when it came over here. And uh, so it was a full, it was actually a full year um, minus two days from filming that it came out. And we actually didn't didn't see it until everybody else saw it. Um, we were really hoping for that early sneak peek, you know, the day before it came out and it just, it's not something they do. So we saw it at the same time. Um, the internet saw it, which was a little nerve wracking. Also, um, we all jumped on a video call as soon as it came out and watched it together as a group over video call. And how was the response? You know, do you feel that it helped a lot in the communities of donor conceived people and, you know, did people, um, 
congratulate you and for telling your story and stuff like that because i mean it is pretty brave to come out there and do that sort of thing and um you know you get scrutinized and the donor conceived community can be um they can be quite ruthless with their terminology um i noticed maddie did say that on the vice show that she's a donor um vice a donor child or donor conceived child of bryce and i know i I, when i do my podcast i've got to be very uh, choosing of my words because a lot of people don't like to be called children when they're adults now and stuff like that so you know, it doesn't always and you go oh no is people going to hate me for slipping my tongue you know because it's so easy to do and you know it's it's good that it all came out um, well and it was perceived very positive so this story isn't finished yet obviously there's still a lawsuit that's going on that's been delayed with uh covid so it's prolonging is it sort of a chapter now that you would like to see just done and dusted like you know finished up wrapped up and then you know do you feel that while it's still going and still hovering over you is that you know the next you know once it gets finalized there'll be another sweep of media coming in and saying come on the show and do this do that you know how how does that feel now just sitting out waiting out this process of litigation to um, finally be heard and done yeah i think it's it's good to start off by saying i think the misconception online uh for some people is that we as offspring are going to benefit from this lawsuit and we're not, we have no stake in this lawsuit. We're not going to get any of the, you know, piece of the pie if it even gets, you know, put out there. So I think a lot of people watching the film that Vice did thought, oh, well, these kids are in it for money too. And it's like, no, we're, we're really not. We, there's, there's no end goal that's monetary for us. Um, I think, I personally am ready to have it behind us because it's been really emotionally exhausting for everyone involved. And um, we all have a lot of empathy for Bryce and what he's had to go through with all of this. And so I think, you know, the sooner it can be over with and everyone can kind of get on with their lives, we're all more interested in, you know, knowing each other and building relationships than we are doing media things. Um, So yeah, it'll be, it's been nice doing all of this and it's, it's given us chances to get closer as siblings too, but I personally would, you know, it'll be nice to have things go a little bit back to normal. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a fascinating life, isn't it? Is get, you get approached from Dr. Phil, like a show that you grow up watching as, as children and stuff. And you'd never think that you'd be on it or approached to be on it. You know, it's just, it can become overwhelming. And I think you've all, all um, handled it with a really level head, um, which, you know, not everyone can process and, and do it that way and as you said you're not in it for the money and people i didn't really think that you're presuming that you would um be in on it and get any money from it uh the 5.25 million i think was i think i read somewhere that it was estimated at 250,000 per child that's how they worked out the figure of it do you do you know what he's going to do with that money if he wins it is he going to put it to a charity or is he is it you know, is it for, has they, have they explained to you what they're going to do with it? Like they said, oh, we'll give you a family trip to Disneyland or something, you know, like how do, how do you feel about that, that ballpark figure? And obviously, yeah, but you, people would probably presume that you were in on it, which you're not. So um, my understanding of the figure that they came up with is, is just that a figure that they needed a number um for the lawsuit in, in an amount. 
I don't personally know how they settled on that number per child. There is the breakdown per, per extra child. I've had very minimal um, interaction with the donor, um, honestly, at all since the press conference. And but but from what I can tell you in that minimal experience is this is not a um, is not a financial um, attempt for him. This isn't about the money. This is about and you said earlier about how you know this happens to donors all the time. And I think that this is about you know saying that that's enough and you know taking the step to make precedence here of this is not okay. Let's do something to change this in a lawsuit is the way to do that. I think that if there had been another route of, of doing that, then that maybe would have been potentially taken, but a lawsuit of this amount is going to be taken seriously, which is what needs to be done. Um, there has been no conversation of compensation for us as I don't expect there to be because none of us would, none of us have even considered that this is not our lawsuit. Um, this is not, something that we intend to financially benefit off of. This is, this is his and, and the wrong was done to him. Um, you know, we, we have to deal with the outcome of it in the sense of having these unknown siblings and, and always finding new siblings. But this, this lawsuit is about a breach of contract that was his. So that that's not ours. Could it be interpreted as yours, as in terms of your family, you know, they're using a, a clinic that's telling people they're only going to be used for five families as their breach of trust being done, you know, is it the same if there is any trauma in regards to um, the overwhelming amount of siblings and being able to, um, obviously you guys seem like you're pretty level-headed and you've been able to filter it in a way that it hasn't been that negatively impacted on you, but there is, um, don't you see people out there that, would struggle with that many siblings per se, especially if they grew up in an environment that they weren't aware to at older and uh, later age as well. Um, you know, could it be an argument that the trauma you experience because of the clinic um, not doing their due diligence, due diligence would be affect you the same amount that it could effectively affect Bryce? I, I think that that's a fair statement and a fair consideration. You know, what they did did affect us. However, the lawsuit that is happening right now isn't about that. It's about his breach of contract. You know, I think that if if we were going to talk about what us as children had have to deal with outside of that, that, that would be separate from from what their grounds for their current lawsuit is. Mm. I certainly feel that, you know, it's necessary what he's doing it'll make him smarten up. Uh, does it open up a new can of worms after this? Does it follow, you know, does how many lawsuits come in after this? Um, are we going to see the banks get crippled financially if this one wins? Or do you feel that this might be a slap on the wrist sort of thing so that the clinics don't all fall under through multiple million dollar lawsuits through various of hundreds and hundreds of people that have donated in the clinics in the past that have been told similar to um, Bryce. Cause I mean, I'm sure Bryce isn't the only person that's been told this as well. You know, there have been a lot of people manipulated and, and um, not have that misconceivement um, of, of uh, what they're actually going to do with his sperm that he donated. So it's, it's, it's potentially a really big story, isn't it? Once it, once the outcome is is put there, and and as I said, um, as I spoke about, you know, that seeing the end of it, 
you know, I feel like there's just going to be another big hurrah before you can finally go back to a, a life of normality, which, um, it, yeah, it's sort of like when you're going to your first job interview and you're really nervous on how you're going to be perceived by your potential employer, you know, but you, you're just waiting and waiting now um, to find that out. And hopefully um, it ends with a really good um, um end of the story in terms of um, making change and, and all that. So I really um, hope it goes um, well for um, everyone. And uh, yeah, it's very brave of you to put um, a face out there of yourselves and stuff like that. But it's sort of it's the story that you've told is sort of, yeah, going to pave a way to hopefully making change. Um, so we'll start, we'll wrap this up now. And I'd like to thank you all for your time and, and making yourself available and, and sharing your stories because I think it's really, um, you know, what we've discussed today has really um, been beneficial and, and you know, these questions that you put out there that, yeah, no, you're not in it for money either. So, you know, that's clarity out there because I think, you know, when you're on these other shows and that, they don't really, it's not really relevant and that, but people go away thinking in the back of the head, could it be like that and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we've explained a lot and I feel that, you know, it's a really important story to tell. Uh, just on that note, you know, how many siblings do you feel, do you honestly believe is out there? Maybe it's all got a different um, number range in your head that you feel that potentially could still be out there defined. I'm going to guess we're around 30, but it's a complete guess. I mean, there's no way of knowing. And I don't think we've ever had that discussion as siblings of <laughs> we're not sitting here with a pool behind us in, in a Facebook chat going, oh, we beat your guess. Um, I, If I had to put a number, I'd probably be around Maddie of between 30 and 35. As, uh, as we keep finding siblings, you know, the original group of us was all from pretty one pretty concentrated area and then slowly as we find more siblings it's kind of spreading um around the united states so i don't even have a number in my head of what could happen because we just don't know how far and wide this was used all over so i hopefully one day we'll have a better a better grasp on what that could be but no idea right now well the ones that you do find i hope you have a good relationship and connection with them and I wish you all the best uh, on your donor conceived journeys um, as living as uh, living life as a donor conceived person and experience the ups and the downs of it and uh, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing your story today. So thank you for all of you for making, the t making you available and uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Bye.